0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Boomer Assison and I'm delighted to have you join us here on our all new Game Time podcast. You know, at the tender age of 23, today's guest has quietly rocketed as high as world number two in the tennis rankings after his runner-up performance... At the amazing 2022 U.S. Open, so he's joining us today from Oslo, Norway. It's Casper Ruud. Casper, welcome to our Game Time podcast. It's great to have you here.
2: Thank you. It's fun to be a part of it.
1: Okay, Casper, we are seeing a changing of the guard in tennis. The 2022 U.S. Open was the first major in New York without one of the big three—that would be Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, and Rafael Nadal—or Serena Williams appearing in the quarterfinals since 2003. Do you see yourself in the vanguard of the new champions in waiting?
2: Well, I hope I can be a part of a larger young group that is coming up and wanting to do well on the tour. You have, um, you know, from the age group from, you know, down to Carlos Alcaraz and let's say to Daniel Medvedev, who is uh, around 26, I believe, or 25. There's a lot of players that uh, are competitive, they do well, they are great players and I hope and think that they will uh, be on uh, on top of the rankings and for many years to come. And um, I hope that I can be a part of that group and that I can stay competitive with these guys. And um, some of them I grew up with, some of them are a bit older, some a bit younger. So it's fun to see that... Uh, you know, tennis is uh, developing and uh, that um, a young generation is sort of on the way. And we still, you know, have uh, struggles sometimes of beating, you know, Rafa and Novak. But um, I think we're getting closer and closer. And US Open was, uh, you know, nice example of what the future can look like. So uh, I hope I can uh, be a part of that future.
1: You know, as someone who grew up uh, following the big threes, every move, really, what was it like facing those guys? Were you intimidated or were you looking at it as an opportunity to do something great?
2: Yeah, it's obviously a little bit intimidating and difficult because, first of all, they're such good players. They have been on top of the world for the last, uh, you know, 20 years or so. And, and for good reason, they have uh, taken tennis to a new level and that's, that level, you know, the young players are trying to reach, uh, and some of them have gotten quite close, I would say, but uh, they still, except for the US Open, are still winning the Grand Slam, so they still have an extra gear or an ace up their sleeve, but um, yeah, it's been fun. I, I've watched so much tennis in my childhood that sometimes when I play these guys myself, it doesn't feel real that I'm out there playing them, since I watch them almost too much sometimes. So. Uh, but now I got to play and practice with many of the top guys for a long time and it feels more natural and feels like we are more competitors now than just me being a fan out there and playing my biggest idols. So uh, it's nice that it's sort of become more of a routine and I have done it a couple of times already that I can say that you know I actually look at them more as competitors as just uh, than just idols. So you were in the running for most improved player
1: in 2021. So how did you improve your hard court game to the extent that you reached the U.S. Open final on that surface? Now, did that work take place during the pause in the pandemic?
2: Well, good question. During the pause in the pandemic, I, I did a lot of good workouts, especially fitness and all of these things that... You know, you typically don't. You typically, you typically don't get a four or five month uh, time off in this world. Uh, the only time off we have is pretty much in December, in our pre preseason time off. So to have four or five months, we really built uh, physically well. But um, I did honestly play mostly on clay <laughs> because uh, it was spring and summertime in Norway, and that's the most common thing to play on in Norway in the summer. So. But um, I don't know. I just I think I improved my self belief and self confidence out there on the hard court that I can uh, play well there and that I can challenge big players. I've beaten some good players on hard court now, and that has obviously given me confidence to believe that I can do it more times and uh, that I can uh, compete with these good guys on no matter what the surface or maybe not grass for the moment, but the hard court and clay. At least I feel like I can. Uh, I can do quite well.
1: You know, uh, the newer players, the newer top players that you were mentioning, do you feel like you have a biggest rival on the court now?
2: Ooh, good question. I've played some of the guys a couple of more times than others. Um, I think I've played actually Andre Rublev the most times um, in our in my career or in, in our careers against each other. But... Uh, not yet. Let's see in a couple of years if there are anyone who stands out more. But uh, I have lost a couple times to you know Medvedev and Alcaraz. You know a couple times, couple guys that I haven't been able to beat yet. So those are guys I would like to try to beat, of course, and uh, get my revenge in a way. So let's see. But uh, I wouldn't say that there's one just yet. But uh, there are uh, many that are uh, have beat me a couple times and. Most of them, except for some, I've been able to beat at least once, so that's uh, that's at least a nice thing. So let's see how the fu- what the future holds.
1: I know that you like golf, and I'm just wondering if you met your fellow countryman Victor Hovland, and are you paying attention to how well he's doing on the PGA Tour?
2: Yes, of course, I'm paying attention. I watch a lot of golf on TV in my spare time, but uh, in, I haven't met him in recent years. I think we're both pretty busy, but we actually did go to high school together. Was on or. Not together but in the same high school he was a year older so we didn't go to the same class but uh same school and um you know he was not the most what should i say um uh, friendly no he was he was very friendly that's not right mm-hmm. he, he was not okay. maybe the guy who noticed more on, on in the school you know he was uh sort of pretty quiet and just normal guy and I was not there a lot either so we weren't you know we weren't good friends or anything but I always respected how uh, you know my, my uh, I have I were very good friends with another golfer who was my age and I always played some rounds with him and respect how good they are in, in, in their game and uh, but I never really hang out too much with Victor but um But yeah, I have obviously watched him a lot on TV and what he has done. It's just incredible. It's motivating for me and I think for other, probably golfers and also other athletes in Norway, golf players from Norway, to see that a Norwegian can do well. So uh, he's, he's great for our country.
1: Okay, folks, we're talking with Casper Root here on the Game Time Podcast. And Casper, let's recap your epic 2022. And we're going to start with the Fred Chopin. What was it like going against France's Joe Wilfred Sanga, who was playing his final tournament before retiring? And the crowd at Roland Garros had to be electric.
2: Yeah, it was uh, a challenge to go out there and know that you're basically playing to end end the players or colleague and sort of a friend, you know, even though we're all uh, competitors, we're good friends on tour. So it was a challenging um, match to play and um, it was emotional. It got very close. It was a very close match. Uh, Joe left it all out there. He has been bothered by injuries lately, the last years, and hasn't maybe proven the... Uh, you know, the, or haven't showed maybe the, the great level that he did uh, some years back. In the last years, due to injuries, but I think this match, he left it all out there, knowing that it would be maybe his last one, and he wanted to win it. And of course, I wanted to win too. I have to think about myself, but uh, it was definitely a challenge. He played great and had the home home crowd with him, and um, it was uh, got also very emotional after the match. So it was a uh, yeah, a moment that I um, will will remember for a long time. I think.
1: Yeah, that was the, the first moment in that particular tournament. And as you progressed through the tournament, you became the first Norwegian to reach a major final, but across the net, none other than the king of clay himself. That's Rafael Nadal. As of course, we all know that. So this happens to be your original tennis idol and mentor. So what were your expectations going into playing him on clay?
2: Well, um, I just tried to enjoy of course we all sort of knew that he had been dealing with uh, some pain in his foot that he wasn't maybe as fit as he has been before Uh, so I you'd like to think that you know if there's ever a chance to actually beat him in the final maybe now is the time but uh, he has dealt with pain before and injuries before and um, he uh, you know came out that day on the final and played uh, too good for me that's the only thing I can say I, I wasn't able to you know, answer any of his questions that he threw at me, to put it this way. Uh, He had a couple of gears extra that I didn't have, so, you know, but at the same time, I enjoyed it. Uh, It was my first final, and thinking that, you know, I might never, ever reach a final again, so I'm going to at least try to enjoy it, even though I won't win, so, um, but, uh, yeah, it was a to see Rafa on the other side of the net in the final was something uh, that has stuck with me for a long time, that memory as well, and I think it will stuck, stuck, stick with me for a long time and probably for the rest of my life, so hopefully there will be more you know, enjoyable and fun memories, and there has been already this year, but uh, that one will stand out for, uh, for, for a long time.
1: Let's spin ahead three months to the U.S. Open and you came here to New York as one of five potential new world number ones. And what I love about tennis right now is that there is a changing of the guard, if you will, at the top of the uh, top of the seats. And you were seated number five. And in the third round, you faced American Tommy Paul in front of his home countrymen. And uh, you took five sets over four hours and 23 minutes. I mean, that's a marathon tennis match. You couldn't have been expecting that. And what did you learn from that?
2: Yeah, well, I, I played Tommy a couple of times before uh, and at Grand Slams as well. Uh, I played him one time at the Roland Garros, was five-setter there, and at the Australian Open, he was a tough four-setter. So I knew that I was facing a tough opponent. And, um, you know, when we got to that fifth set, I just said to myself that, you know, it's time to step up and try to just leave it all out there. And uh, I guess that worked in a way. You know, I played uh, some of my best tennis this year in that fifth set. and. Um, was just uh, walking on water somehow, and mm-hmm. I found some ener- energy in the fifth set after playing four hours that I didn't know that I had. But uh, yeah, I was I was quite tired after the match and the day after. So I'm glad that they gave us a day off between the matches. So, um, but yeah, that was a very fun match playing on Arthur Ashe Stadium, which was at the time the the biggest court that I had played on in the U.S. Open. So. Um, in, with a, you know, I wouldn't say a full packed house, but there was quite a lot of people there, and the energy was something that I had never experienced in the crowd. It was, you know, tennis is a sport where typically the the crowd are quiet during rallies, but at, in New York and in the U.S. Open, they don't really they don't really care. They they are <laughs> cheering all the time and they're quite loud in the stands. So. If you know the first games or the first set, it took a while to get used to, you know, just that summing or what you can call it from the crowd. So, it was, um, it was, uh, yeah, great. It ended up being a great match, and obviously ex- extra fun for me winning it. But um, it was uh, I think it was a good way to prepare myself to play on Arthur Ashe Stadium as well because that's even bigger.
1: It is bigger, and you know, Casper, I am a New Yorker, and we never shut up. We just always are talking, and we don't care what anybody else is doing, especially when they're playing tennis. Now, you became the first Norwegian to reach the U.S. Open final, obviously, and this time another Spaniard was standing in your way, and it wasn't Rafa. It was 19-year-old sensation Carlos Alcaraz. So what is his game like, and had you played him before that final?
2: I had played him a couple of times before. He had beat me two times before, and uh, actually, the the previous match was also in the states, in a final down in Miami at the Miami Open. So that was at the time the biggest final of both our careers and lives, and um, it was a big match for us. And he ended up winning. It was two two close sets, uh, and he's just this uh, you know phenomenal wonder boy talent that comes up every once in a while. So you just have to accept and respect how good he is. Um, but, you know, he had had some tough matches leading into the finals, so I, you know, tried to think as well, you know, he's probably a bit more tired than me, because he had played more hours uh, before, so I was trying to think like this, but uh, we came out in the final, I think we both played great a great match, it was many fun rallies, and long ones and uh I, th- I hope it was an exciting match to watch at least i thought it was exciting to play myself so uh it was close there in the third set um i had a couple of set points that of course i wish i could have won but you can't do anything else than just give it uh, give it your uh, your best and your all uh, all you have and that's what i did and it was just you know just not enough and uh, i will try to work uh hard to put myself in a similar position again and uh Hope that I play a non-Spaniard in the in the final next time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, Casper, it was exciting. Now we're just getting warmed up with Casper Ruud. We'll talk about growing up under the guidance of the man who is now Norway's second greatest men's tennis star, Casper's dad, Christian. When game time continues right after this. Welcome back to Game Time. According to Casper Rood's father, Christian, from day one, I just try to say to him, as long as you try your best in every match, I will never be disappointed. He has that calmness that he knows I understand the game, and that I have been there, and we are kind of in this together in a way. You know, in an early age, Casper, your parents exposed you to so many different sports, as we talked off the air. In addition to tennis, you also played soccer, you love golf, you played ice hockey. So why did you focus on tennis?
2: Well, um, you know, I've had moments where I, uh, you know, thought that, oh, I should have another sport or uh, on my toughest practice days when I'm running a lot and sweating a lot I I think to myself that you know had I chosen golf I could have you know been on a nice course somewhere and enjoyed good weather and not having to run as much as I do right now but uh, of course I'm very happy with the choice that I made and and um, I I how it got to the choice i'm not sure i mean i just felt like i was a better tennis player than what i was in ice hockey or golf or or soccer so that's and i've i have a very competitive mindset so i wanted to do something where i that i felt that i mastered the most i guess and then i also enjoyed the more being um uh you know being by myself out there not playing a team competition Mm -hmm. that it's more of a self uh, competition on your own so uh, i liked having the control myself and not having to depend on uh, teammates or or things like this so i was always more of a solo uh, athlete i get i guess and uh, that's why i chose tennis and my father as well as he has played before it was natural for me to think that uh, he he could be uh, involved in my career in in any way, and um, he has he has been so, and we have uh, yeah we have a great relationship, and he has helped me so much this uh, last ten eleven or twelve years since I chose tennis over over the other sports so i 'm very happy of course with with the choice that I made
1: <laughs> so I so I, yeah, I I would imagine so, and i 'm sure he is too you know I, I was reading about your bio and i I read where. There was a story at the Davis Cup was staged in Oslo and is it true that you got hit in the stomach by a serve and yet you wouldn't admit that you were in tremendous pain because you didn't want to leave the court.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kinda of true. It was I was a ball kid back uh, when I was very young in a Davis <laughs> Cup match for for Norway. I'm not exactly sure who they played, but I was in the I think it was the left corner and you know, one guy ripped the serve out wide, and uh, it was it was out. It was out. It was wide. it was too wide um, outside the line, and uh, typically the returner just leaves it if he doesn't, if he sees that it's not going in. And then I wasn't ready for the returner to leave it, so I think it hit me right in the stomach, and it was really painful. And I probably tried to hold back some tears, but uh, I'm not sure if I was able to do it. But I wanted to stay. I, I enjoyed being a ball kid, and. Uh, I guess uh, that's sort of how that story goes.
1: (laughs) You know, quick, I was going to say at the age of 15, you finally beat your dad straight up. Now, obviously he was a a famous tennis player in Norway, the best player ever until you came along. What was that moment like when you finally were able to beat him on the court?
2: It was fun. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a nice moment. I had been asked sort of the question all my life, you know, when are you going to beat your father? how old do you think you will be where is it going to be when are you going to do it uh, and and so on so it was nice doing it so that i didn't have to hear that question anymore uh, and uh <laughs> now it's like you they ask me how was it so i guess i will never get rid of the question but uh <laughs> it was it was nice it was an uh, very exciting day because i sort of did two things at once i won my first tournament on the atp tour and then knowing that the day after i would uh, become uh, number 34 on the ranking my father was 39 so i knew that i would pass him so i sort of had two uh uh, you know caught two fish at once if you can say it this way and um and uh you know, I, 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 it was, it was. Um, my father wasn't there, so I had to call him over the phone. I was, it was down in Argentina in the Argentinian Open, back <laughs> in 2020, and he was back home, so he wasn't actually there with me. But it was a nice phone call, and I think he was happy to see that if his record was ever to be broken, that it was at least by his son. <laughs>
1: You know, I, I think my son would do the same thing to me, too, as well. So, Casper, when you made the decision to turn pro, how much of an adjustment was it for you to that lonely live-out-of-a-suitcase lifestyle?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, I sort of lived the professional tennis player life since I was, you know, about 12 or 13 years old, so it starts very young. Uh, you start competing very young, and you start traveling quite young, uh, especially in Europe and in Norway. There's not that many tournaments where I get to play against other, you know, international players. I think uh, over in the States you have obviously a bigger country, you can travel within the States until you're about 14, 15. But at, even at 14, 15, you need to get out and, you know, show yourself to the other juniors around the world and uh, see what they, how they are playing, what they're doing. So it starts very young. So. Even though I turned pro when I was, I don't know, 16 or 17, I still felt like I had lived that life for some years already, and I was ready for it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was um, it was, it was a natural choice for me with my father around, and we discussed if I, you know, ever thought about or wanting to go to college, which was, uh, you know, not a bad thing at all. But uh, in tennis, you don't have that many years, as in maybe other sports. So every year is uh, important in a way. And the college uh, college way or going to college before felt like I would have lost some years uh, and having the chance to play a pro. So it was natural for me to, to choose pro, the pro professional sort of journey right away. And I was secure. I felt good with the decision that I made. But, you know, there are no guarantees in this sport. It's not like you are picked up by a team and you you sign a contract and you're good for the next five years, you really need to work your way up. The only only thing you have to brag about, I guess, is your ranking and that will change every single week. So you really need to keep it up and there's not really any moment where you feel like, you know, I made it or I made, uh, I have made it in my career or whatever, but uh, I guess in the position I'm now it's easier to think back that, you know, I'm living sort of the dream and what I dreamed about as a young player and or a young, young boy, and it's obviously very nice to be in this position. It's been a long journey already, even though I'm young, but uh, it's been a journey of 10 years living as a professional athlete, I would say.
1: Yeah, there's no question that your dad helped place the trail for Norwegian tennis, and you've been following right in his footsteps. I'm just wondering, did you, uh, do you have a, a better appreciation for some of the stuff that he had to deal with without having somebody like him in his life, like you have him in your life.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was uh, not as easy of a choice for him, I think, because he's, he really had no one around except for his coaches, sort of, that uh, guided him. His parents, who's our, who are my grandparents, are great people, but they're yeah. not tennis players from before, and... Uh, uh, if my grandmother watches, she will be angry, but uh, she doesn't even know how to count a score uh, after 50 years of watching tennis. So uh, you can imagine that uh, she was not the maybe best coach for him uh, for some years, but he did really good on his own and uh, and uh, had to deal with everything on by himself. And of course, a coach, but he changed coaches quite a lot. So of course, it's very, very impressive what he did knowing what he had to deal with and how much he had, or how, uh, what she's, uh, um, what's the word, um, how independent he was. Uh, yep. So I've had this path laid in front of me for my all, whole life. Of course, you really need to earn it in sports. There's no uh, shortcuts to, to success, but uh, I've had a better team around me for more years than what my father has. So, of course, and I think that's what he missed and that's what he wanted to give me uh give me better options than what he had you know what
1: i appreciate about you back in 2018 you started training at the rafael nadal academy in mallorca spain so what was that experience Mm -hmm. like and was rafa himself uh, there as a hands-on instructor
2: yeah i mean he i don't think he was there the first day i came and sort of uh welcomed me with uh, shaking my hands but uh he was there from very early on and uh you know, I had practiced with him a couple of times before I went to the academy, so he knew who I was. And um, uh, we got to practice a little bit later that, that year after I started, and he was always really involved and tried to give me some tips. And But at, at that time, we were so far apart or he was on a completely different level. I was ranked number 130 or something like this, and he was you know, number one or two or three. I can't yeah. remember exactly what he was, but it was There's so far away. So I don't know. There wasn't too much for me to learn from him at that point other than, you know, how he practices, how he works hard every day and having achieved everything that he has achieved and won everything there is to win, he still comes to practice every day, works hard, he's disciplined and never sort of lost his feet off the ground. So um, he's a great guy, a great worker and... To me, one of the the best uh, athletes the the world has seen the last uh, 20 years. So uh, to be around him and to be under his wings uh, with him and his family and his academy has been a great opportunity. And uh, I had such a great time every time I go there.
1: Yeah, that's what I call unbelievable championship dedication. All right, we'll be right back to talk about what turned out to be a very memorable competition in London. And no...
0: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: And now, let's meet
0: Team Europe. He reached the finals of Roland Garros and the U.S. Open just a few weeks ago. It's Norway's most successful player ever. And now world number two, Casper
1: Rude. Welcome back, everyone. Hard work may sound like a simple answer, Casper Rude said, about his rapid rise. But at the end of the day, we have heard many times from the legends of the sport, like Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Novak Djokovic, that hard work gets you far. And you know, as it turned out, hard work eventually brought tennis's big three—that would be Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal—to London, along with the aforementioned Casper Ruud as part of Team Europe in the Labor Cup. That had to be amazing for you, Casper, playing with those three guys.
2: Yes, it was uh, an incredible week. Uh... I got in on Tuesday and uh, just enjoyed every second I was there until I had to leave. So uh, on, on Monday, the you know the seven days after, so it was. Uh, wish I could go back, obviously, and really relive it all. But um, that's just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I would say, and to be around. I think we should also mention Andy Murray, who's been fighting with these guys for the last 15 years as well. He hasn't maybe won as many slams as the other ones, but he has been a true competitor with them. So to be around those four and Stefanos as well, Tsitsipas and I, having that opportunity to get to know them better and watch them up close and of course that... uh, heartbreaking friday evening when roger stepped away it was uh, very emotional to watch up close and i just felt very lucky and privileged that i could be there witnessing roger saying goodbye and um, and uh, yeah, i was uh, like i said it was emotional but uh, yeah also another moment i will re- remember for a long time so it's been many of them this year <laughs> yeah there's many of them for sure i mean i'm just
1: thinking everybody was surprised by roger's announcement weren't they
2: yes they were i think I myself thought that uh, you know he was going to work hard as he has done, but I think just the knee couldn't hold up any, anymore. But uh, I thought he would maybe try to give it another shot, the last shot maybe next year and play some tournaments and to see how it went. But I think he's had some fallbacks here and there and the knee just hasn't been able to keep up with the, with the playing anymore. So I think it was a tough choice, but he seemed to, on him that he felt like it was the right one. So i'm um, just happy that he's happy with it and uh he has done so much for our sport he set all the records he set the bar so high he took <laughs> took the game to a new level and then you know rafa and noah came after him chased him down and uh, at the moment they are the ones that hold the records uh, with slams but you know they're just all around each other at 20 or 21 or 22 so roger was the one who sort of uh seems like uh, pulled these guys after him and then the three of them have The fact that they have won over 60 Grand Slams, the three of them are just, um, yeah, insane.
1: Yeah, remarkable, insane, whatever you want to call it. Now, speaking of international team competition, why is Davis Cup so important to you?
2: Well, I think it's... uh the only way or not maybe the only way but it's a very nice way for me to represent my country norway Uh, we're not that big in tennis so if i can help in some way putting norway on the map you know around the tennis world i'm very happy to give it a try and uh, norway we've never been in the final group or final stage of the davis cup so that's a big goal for me in my career to reach that and also for our captain who's been the captain for over 20 or 25 years he's never reached it so we also want to do our best to do that to to, to do it for him sort of and um yeah it's it's uh, just a competition also that I watched on TV for many years it has a lot of history and uh, you could always see the joy in the players whenever they won Davis Cup um, i'm not sure if uh, Norway We'll have the greatest of chances to win Davis Cup in the coming years, but uh, at least to reach the final stage will feel like a win for us. And we have worked hard. We have a young team, and I hope that we can uh, we can reach um, further than what we have done before. You know, your dad was a three-time Olympian.
1: Do You plan to compete for Norway in the 2024 Olympics on clay in Paris.
2: That's the plan. Uh, I hope, of course. Uh, when it comes down to it you'll need to have your ranking up and everything but yes of course if things go well that's the plan and then you have los angeles in 2028 so i mm-hmm. think uh, i will have uh, to hopefully to get to experience two very exciting and fun uh, olympic games to to be a part of and um, i mean uh roland garros is first up or paris is first up with where they're going to play at roland garros so i have some good good memories from there so when we get to the tournament <laughs> Next year, I will try, or sorry, 2024, I will try to remember uh, what I did well when I did well there and, uh, you know, just give it a good shot for Norway and try to get a medal for Norway in tennis.
1: Go Norway. I'm rooting for you, Casper. believe me. All right, Kasper, speaking of Norway, we can never do that enough here on the Game Time podcast. Are you ready for a little challenge that we like to call Norway Your Way?
2: Okay, I hope I don't do too bad.
1: (laughs) No, you're gonna be fine. The Southern Norway Ski Resort of Lillehammer is famous for what?
2: I guess Olympics back in 94.
1: Yes, I would have given you that or the the Netflix series. Or the the Netflix series, either one. Or the either either one, right. Okay.
2: All right, number two. (laughs) Oslo
1: is home to the famous 1893 masterpiece that includes a secret inscription which reads, can only have been painted by a madman. What is the name of this painting?
2: Uh, is it the Scream or Scream? Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, or the go. Scream? <laughs> yes, kind of yeah, uh, yeah.
1: a little bit, very little for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, a little geography for you now. Norway is bordered by Sweden, Finland, and what other country? Russia. Very good match these legendary yeah. norwegian athletes with their sports are you ready for this yes okay stein ericsson
2: uh, uh alpine skiing
1: yep the ski racing i'll give you that sonja henny
2: okay uh figure skating
1: very good and greta bites
2: running running
1: uh, yes, at the Marathon, very good. Finally, as an NHL fan, you should know this, who is the all-time leading Norwegian scorer in National Hockey League history?
2: It's Matt Zuccarello.
1: <laughs> Very good, and he played for my Rangers here in New York. All right, I thanks know. to our buddy Kasper Root for joining <laughs> us today. And thank you out there all for watching. on Boomer Esaas, and I'll see you again real soon, right here on Game Time, with South Carolina women's basketball head coach, Dawn Staley.